0: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He takes away every branch in me that does not bear fruit, and every one that does, he prunes so that it bears more fruit. You are already pruned because of the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, because without me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me will be thrown out like a branch and wither. People will gather them and throw them into a fire, and they will be burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask for whatever you want and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. The Gospel of the Lord. Remain in me, remain in me. Our Lord uses another of the I am statements that St. John includes sprinkled throughout his gospel, the seven of them, and this is one of them. I am the vine, you are the branches. One doesn't have to have a a degree in agricultural studies, nor must one be uh, a master gardener to know that when a storm comes through and knocks a branch down, if you wait a couple of days, It's done. It's dead. It's nice and brown and shriveled up. And anything that would have been life on it is going to rot. This is a natural fact of life. Any of us that ever does this and sees the branches fall after a storm, you know one of two things happens typically. Either you put it on the burn pile in the backyard, or you put it at the curb of the front yard. Either way, it goes away. One doesn't sit around and look at dead branches in the yard and wonder, I wonder if it's going to grow soon. Maybe it'll sprout and, and start producing some fruits, huh? That'd be nice. have another pine tree growing right there where the first limb fell. Not that we would want pine trees in that much. It would be foolish to expect such a thing. It doesn't happen. And this is a reality that Christ is trying to convey to us. That unless we remain in him... We do not produce anything. He says it clearly, in case one might be slow of hearing. He says, without me, you can do nothing. He didn't say, without me, you can't do most things. He didn't say, without me, you can't do great things. He didn't say, without me, you'll be able to do some stuff, but it won't, be that, it won't really be that impressive. He says, without me, you can do nothing. We can look at that in two senses. One, God is life itself. If we cease to have life, we literally do nothing. We are dead. We are gone from this world. We can speak about that in the physical sense, but our Lord speaks about it specifically in the spiritual. That if we do not have his life thing through our soul, if we do not have the Holy Spirit working within us, we can do nothing, spiritually speaking, We will be able to do nothing that truly glorifies God. We need his life within us. We need our Lord to speak to us, to draw us close to himself, to teach us to these things, but ultimately, above all of this, to give us his grace. In a sense, one could look at the the conclusion of what we just read in St. John's Gospel and see that if you work it backwards in that last sentence, it's the steps by which these things are done. It says, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. So, to do it, first we become disciples of Christ. We believe in the man. Not just in the idea or a uh, a nice kind of, wouldn't it be great, you know, Remember the the song in the 90s, what if God was one of us? Foolishness, because he is one of us. He took on our flesh. He has become one of us so that we could become children of the Father. And we must believe in this, first and foremost, to become his disciples, to be willing to take the man at his word. And when he says things that are a bit crazy, like you must eat my flesh and drink my blood to have life within you, we wrestle with it, but we must believe. We must be disciples of Christ first, to remain in Him, to stay close to Him, to be grafted onto the vine by virtue of our baptism, and therefore to have His life begin to change us. And when His life courses through us, we will bear much fruit. And by this is the Father glorified. We must remain in Him. In the early twentieth century a debate arose about the call to holiness. It's a clear teaching of the the church that priest, by, by their very nature, by the ordination of a man, he is obligated to to strive for and to attain perfection in the Christian life. I tremble every time I read that. He is obligated to it. It's a mandate, it's a starting point. The reality is that all Christians are called to holiness. One may not be mandated as by ordination, but one, necessar- then one is still called. And this is a debate that rose in the 20th century. There were some who thought that this was, this was a little too much. Right? Sometimes the the thought in in minds, whether we say it or not, is holiness is for some other some other people. Right? Holiness is for the sisters. It's for Father Hill. You know, holiness is for for people that we see that we do incredible things that we read about in in, in, in religious magazines and articles and these kind of things. That that the true holiness that that makes people go, wow, that is they, they are they are holy. That that is only for a, a unique group of people. This is a thought that sometimes is found in the church in the early 20th century, but still is alive today. And then there was another school who said, that's foolishness. Why would Christ call us to be part of his body? Why would Christ call us to be members of the vine and then say, but you don't really have to be holy. <laughs> just, just be part of the body. You know, we'll, we'll limp along with you, right? They said that would be foolishness. All are called to pursue holiness. And as the debate went on for, for some 20 or 30 years, uh, theologians were writing back and forth in response to one another in these things. Ultimately, a gathering of bishops came together and decided the thing, and we call it Second Vatican Council. And the bishops looked and they said, no, the call to holiness is a universal call. It is for every last baptized Christian, every one of you and everyone that's not here is called to holiness. We are called to be people of prayer, intense prayer, regular prayer, to meditation and to contemplation, to praying with the sacred scriptures, to reading spiritual reading, to reading the classics of the church, to read the early church fathers, the writing of the saints, the books that the saints carried in their back pocket or in their bag. All of us are called to become that, to regularly, committedly spend time in prayer, to remain with him so that he might remain in us. It is not an option of the Christian life. If we don't pray, we don't allow his life to come into us. We don't allow ourselves to draw close to the vine. We are like the branches that simply fall off and anticipate that we're going to still be okay for a while. But if we do not pray, if we do not have the life of the sacraments, if we do not have all of these encounters with Christ, we will die in spirit and not produce any fruits. Our Lord calls all of us, not just some, to an intense life of prayer. Sometimes it's laborsome. This is the reality of things. Prayer is not supposed to always be easy. Anyone who, who experiences any kind of relationship, if, uh, a married person, you know, if, if you experience anything of marriage, you know that marriage is not always just a cakewalk. It's not always a, just a nice, easy thing. It challenges you. It tests you. It's the nature of, uh, it's the, nature of the thing, you know. If, it's, if the intention of a marriage is to get the other person to heaven, you've got to sanctify them somehow. And that's the reality, and not just in marriage, but in the entirety of Christian life, for us to continue to be, to be sanctified. And this is a challenge to us because our easy, our default, is the path of unholiness, the path of least resistance, the path of whatever feels good in the moment. And this does not sanctify Prayer is a challenge for us, but it is a challenge to which all of us are called. We are to come to our Lord, indeed to remain with Him and to remain with Him often, and therefore to bear fruit. A brief word on that last point about the bearing of fruit. Sometimes we, we can get frustrated and, and, and look at our own lives um, and be wondering, where is the fruit? Well, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm changing. I don't feel like anything is happening. There's a wonderful reality that often happens in the soul, is God is doing something, but he intentionally keeps us blind to it. Because as soon as we think we're making progress and we recognize it, how easy it is for us to kind of get, uh, to get a little prideful. Look at me, I'm doing real good. Look at how much I've been praying lately. You ought to be praying that way too. You know, all these people who are not praying the way that I'm praying, huh? The Lord intentionally humbles us. He intentionally keeps us blind very often the spiritual growth of our soul, lest we falsely think that it is us who is doing something. It is him. It is he who desires to increase within us, to pour out his life and to produce much fruit. In a particular way, I would encourage spending time with him in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. Indeed, for us to remain with the Lord in prayer in any place at any time is a good and holy thing, but especially in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. There is a particular power because there is a particular proximity of Christ. And if we spend time with him in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, we don't have to worry about bearing fruit. The fruit will be born whether we mean it to or not if we are open to him. I've often challenged people to this. Especially during the Lenten season, people will be kind of wondering, what should I do for Lent? And I often invite people to start doing adoration if they're not already. It doesn't have to be a Lent exclusive. You can start any time of year if you like. And I will challenge them. I would invite them, go to adoration, go to, to, to sit before our Lord in the blessed Sacrament, and kneel before him for one hour, one, for, for, for one hour every single week for the entirety of Lent, Seven weeks, right? A big ask. Seven hours, huh? I said, and if you can honestly tell me, do you spent seven hours in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, genuinely open to our Lord, and didn't experience any change whatsoever in your life? Please come tell me, because you will be the first. It's the reality. When we spend time with Him in adoration, in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, the tabernacle, He necessarily, if we are willing to be changed, will change us. The branches on the vine don't have to sit there and think all day whether they ought to produce fruit or not. By being on the vine, they do. And so also our soul in the presence of Christ, when we come to him, when we remain in him, when we intentionally open ourselves to him, He will do all the rest, and by this is the Father glorified. Not because we have done anything, but because he has. Because he has called us, he has grafted us onto himself, he has poured forth his life into us, and he has produced many fruits. May God grant us the grace today to come and to stay with him for a moment to remain with him, to abide with him in this holy mass, and to rejoice that by bearing forth fruit, the Father is glorified.